0: Hey, what's up, Lighthouse family? I am so excited about tonight. We have a special Black History Month edition of Tackle the Text. Okay, I get it, everybody doesn't watch the news. All of you tuning in don't live in Houston, so to know who I am, I'm Erica Simon. I'm an anchor reporter here in Houston, and I'm so honored to have this dialogue and conversation with Pastor Keon Henderson tonight, not just because I'm a member of Lighthouse, but because what we're gonna talk about is something that really needs to be talked about. It's something that's kind of been in the shadows, and people have wanted to dig but we're going to do that for you. We're going to talk about some difficult subjects. We're going to talk about the virtue of justice. We're going to talk about how we can unify as kingdom believers and also give you a few tangible things that we can do to be better as a people. So strap up, get your drink and tune in. honored to kick off Black History Month with one of my favorite people in the world my personal pastor Keon Henderson of Lighthouse Church We're gonna talk about a couple of different things over the course of the month that people have been wanting to talk about for a while. Justice, social justice, coming together as a people. But I really wanted to ask you, Pastor Keon, why you decided to do this? Some churches and some pastors, they don't bother to touch the difficult topics. They're just like, you know what? Nope, let's stick to the Bible verses, let's stick to this, let's stick with what we know. I don't even wanna ruffle any feathers, but you, you're tackling this head on you know this is the perfect backdrop or the houston museum of african-american culture it is black history month and so you're fitting into both of those themes talk about why you decided to have this kind of dialogue with the people
1: yeah i think number one that anything that doesn't fit in dialogue dies and i think that what is going on in america right now needs to live on it's a difficult time very painful time but yet a necessary time because crises always bring forth greatness. So, number one, I wanted to do it because it's necessary. Number two, it's dear to my heart um, to to make sure that uh, I discuss equity. I I believe that justice uh, is about giving people what's right and what's fair, and, and I think that that's on both sides of the aisle and all color cultures and creeds. So I thought it was necessary to have. And number three, I really believe that uh, as long as we keep having these conversations in the shadows, we'll never bring it to the light. So why not come on the screen, let everybody agree to disagree, or maybe perhaps we will say something uh, that will be um, evergreen for someone to change their perspective. And if we can just change the life of two, three, five people we would have left the world a better place. So that's why I went after it.
0: I think that, as I said, justice is something that a lot of people have thrown around, right? It's a term that's become very popular in the past year or so. Um, and I don't never take it for granted that people know what that means, right? Um, to you, what does, what does justice mean?
1: Uh, I think it's a good question. I, I think uh, justice is difficult to define. I remember looking up justice at one point in time and I came up with 33 different definitions. So I think that justice is difficult to define, but I don't think it should be difficult to distribute, right? At the core of justice is the idea of balance, um, fairness, that that people should get what's appropriate and right for them as a people group. And, and I think that should cross all sections of economic status, socio-economic status, color creed, culture, um, all of those things. So, uh, but I think in order to really define justice, you have to pay attention to the antithesis, which is injustice. Um, and uh, the best example that I can come up with at the top of my head, there was a young man, um, uh, I think the last name is Zabrowski, and he went into uh, a store, took out a gun, shot at the clerk over a mask and uh, didn't want to wear a mask. Got home later that day uh, the police were looking for him. They came and found him at his home the next day and he has another shootout with the police um, and shoots at the police with an AK-47. Now I say all of that to you and those uh, who are part of black America hear that and say what? Because if you go to Kenosha, Wisconsin and you see a Jacob Blake who was going to his car um, and they thought he was going to retrieve a weapon which he didn't have um, is shot in the back seven times in a matter of seconds so I think that's injustice because you have one guy who will never walk again um, who didn't have a weapon and you had a guy who had two weapons that walked away unharmed and I think at the bottom and the basis Uh, of justice and and justice is not for blacks and it is not not for whites it's for all that we would all get what's fair what's equitable uh, and that it would be distributed in a palatable form so um, I I think it's difficult to determine what it means but I think we know how to distribute it and just give everybody what they do
0: And people have been striving for that very thing, justice for all rights in the Constitution. It's something that we would think and hope comes easy, right, but it seems to be a struggle for some and in some circumstances. So speaking in the same line as far as definition, many have defined justice over the centuries and the decades as to give another what they are owed, right, it should be a human right, right? It's it's, it's a principle, it's something that everybody should have, It's it's a common expectation. So a lot of people, um, when it comes to the Bible, quote Micah 6.8. I know people who have that tattooed on them. People love to quote it. And that is, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So I guess the question is, you know, how does God feel about justice? And, and why is it so important for all of us to really comprehend what that means? And try to walk in it so that we have a better America. Everybody wants a healed America and a better America, but some aren't willing to do the work to have that. So, so how does God feel about it? And then, why is it important for us regular, everyday folks, you know, believers and non-believers alike, to follow that principle?
1: Yeah, you know, one scripture that comes to mind is Psalms 89, and it says that righteousness and justice are the foundations of God's throne. So, so not only Uh, is God for justice he actually is justice right he is just that that's why we worship him because he's just and uh, not always fair but always just you know is it fair uh, that uh, you would have a bomb to explode in a foreign country and young people would lose their lives that's not fair to the parent but we we have this ideology about our God that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose And so at the genesis of who God is, he's just and he cannot be unjust. So then if injustice is a proposition, then we realize that it is a man-made thing, right? That injustice is a thing instituted by man. By, By the way, one of the most symbolic things of the Christian faith is the cross. You know, just along with those people who have Micah tattooed on them, they would probably have some crucifix on their neck or some cross or something of that nature. In most churches, there, there's a cross on the steeple. And that cross is really God's representation of unity. That's what the symbol is. It's, it's a vertical axis and a horizontal axis. The vertical axis of the cross symbolizes our relationship with God. The horizontal axis of the cross represents our relationship with people. And I think that what's this America that we dream about, this America that we perceive, um, I don't think America is the problem. I think the we is the problem. I think that it's like um, a church uh, that has a lot of problems. If there are no people in the church, the church has no problem. It's when the people enter into that place. Uh, America itself, this continent, that we lived on, there was no racism before people showed up. There was no murder before people showed up. There was there was no drug opioid um, a problem until people showed up. So the the, the location isn't the issue. Uh, it's the people. And and the problem is is when you say we, this America, this Constitution, when you say we, it depends on who you're talking to, right? Because when one group says we, they mean them. <laughs> And then when another group says we, they mean them. And I think that when God um, came, he specifically said there is no more Greek, there is no more Jew, there is no male, there is no female. So I think that God was trying to, uh, through the book, uh, we call the Bible to wash away all boundaries and, and to wash away all sections and, and, and to get rid of the, these cultural battles that we have to stay Aside from each other, and, and to come together in unity, and so when I'm looking forward to uh, this discussion because I think that America really wants something that it's really as a whole not prepared to fight for. Uh, we have to lay down our preconceived notions. That's what prejudice really means, right? You'll have people say, "I'm not racist," but. That's not the only way you can be against somebody, so you can also be prejudice, which is a preconceived ideology of a person that you don't have experience with. So um, while I believe uh, that God is just, um, I, I don't think that it is, I don't think that it is plausible that we get to that place of justice until we sit down and have some very, very difficult conversations that blacks listen to whites, and whites listen to blacks, and rich listen to poor, and poor listen to rich. Um, some of those conversations are happening, but I think they need to happen more often.
0: That's something that I saw kind of dwindle away in the past couple of years, just a real lack of compassion and empathy, people listening to one another, willing to have you know, a sit-down dialogue and say, I may not agree with you, I may not even understand where you're coming from, but I hear you yeah. and I'm hoping to have a better understanding of what you feel is wrong or what you feel is injustice because I've heard you. You said something interesting about the we, you know, depends yeah. on who you ask, right, right. or how they define stuff. Um, why do you think it's so difficult for folks to think about the greater picture of their, their faith, their walk, right? We just immediately kind of just cower and go to what we're used to. Right. Yeah. Like, I think the key is to really think about your relationship with the Lord. Right. It seems uh-huh. easy enough. But why do you think we struggle with that? Because, you know, the evangelicals and the people who know what the word says, who know how God feels about things. Right. It, it seems to still be a struggle. Is that just human nature? Are we just struggling with ourselves?
1: Yeah. And, and I think what you bring into to, to the conversation is absolutely true. It's human nature and human frailty. Like we're flawed. Um, I said something not too long ago that. Um, people put a high price on what they think. So they believe that because it's in their mind that it has merit, that because they thought it, that it must have truth to it. Then you have to dig into what people are taught, right? Because a lot of these things that we're dealing with, such as racism, are concepts that begin in the homes. You know, nobody's born hating a, a, another group; those things are taught. So it's it still goes back to the we, you know, the the us in America. And uh, you know, I've got I, when I was in college, I lived with two white guys and one other African American. So there's two blacks, two whites, in the same apartment. And let me tell you, we could not be more different. We could not be more different. But because of basketball, we were centered around a common goal. And so there was no, uh, um, you know, white and black conversation in the townhouse that we had as scholarship athletes. It wasn't, uh, but we saw differences. So, for instance, when it was Christmas um, or, or Thanksgiving, we would be at our white friends' houses because their father and their mother and their siblings and their aunt and their grandmas would all be in the house. They wouldn't be able to come to our house because, number one, it wasn't big enough for the people who lived in it. And number two, it wouldn't be big enough to bring people in. And there was no father there, and there was no grandmother there, and there was no traditions passed along. So um, I think that, that most people are affected by their orientation. Um, but then you brought to the how do we get there? It's, it's sitting down and talking. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, I would tell you what I'm thinking, but you're no longer trying to understand it's in the book of Hebrews and and people have gotten away from trying to understand and as a whole I think that most of the people in America have great intentions but like you know it's always the squeaky wheel that gets the most attention it's always the most visceral and the most angry section of our society that makes the news and here's the problem we as people we say we want change, but we are also addicted to the thing that causes us to stay frustrated. So we want TV to be cleaned up, but we won't watch good TV, right? We, we, want, we want great programming, but we still watch the murder mystery. Um, and so I think we want something uh, that we don't have an appetite for, and we want something to end that we are addicted to.
0: That's good. They say in the news business, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. You know, if it's if it's drama, if it's a, if it's a catchy headline, unfortunately, we know that's what people want. That's what they're going to click on. You yeah. know, um, let's just get real for a second. Um, why do you think some people get so frustrated at terms that have been used about justice this past year? Social justice, black lives matter, so on and so forth. I mean, as a black woman i understand what that means to me that's my black life matters too if somebody does something like take it out unfairly somebody should be held accountable just like in any other circumstance the justice system should be the same right but um for some reason some people get very upset with that um talk about that why do you think um people kind of retreat to fear or or get upset about that why does that bother people so much those types of phrases
1: yeah you know they they say that when we're born We're only born with two fears. We're born with the fear of falling and the fear of noise. You have a baby. We talked about her uh, before we came on today Um, and Ella would probably rub a pit bull's face where a totally grown person would see that dog coming and be totally afraid of it. I remember one time we were having um, a photo shoot several weeks ago and uh, one of the ladies that I work with, Sarah. There was a cat that walked right in the door.
0: <laughs> it was now, a black cat? <laughs> it
1: wasn't a black cat because if it was a black cat, all the black people <laughs> would have got out. Right? See, gotta we were go, that. Gotta go. Gotta <laughs> go. And th- here you are. Here you are. You're, you're, you're talking about what we're taught. And although it's comical, Sarah. Now the room. Sarah's white. The rest of us are black. The guys who are taking the pictures are white. You. This is the truth. The cat walks in. All the black people said, "Uh uh-uh, I gotta go. I don't don't know that cat like (laughs) Everybody was going out. Sarah went and picked the cat up and took it back outside. And I just looked at everybody (laughs) and I said, don't worry about it, it's the culture. don't worry about it, it's the culture. She wasn't afraid of it. But what you have to know about Sarah is she was raised on a farm. So so a cat compared to a cow, right? what, What is a cat compared to all the other animals that she's raised. So she, she has a different orientation than we did because in our house, if we asked for a dog, number one, mama was scared of the dog. Number two, mama said it's hard enough to feed you. I ain't got time to be buying no extra food for another. I, uh, you know, so you, you've got that orientation, but, but more seriously to the question, why are people offended by words such as social justice? Or Black Lives Matter. This is my personal opinion. Everybody won't share it. The only people who are offended by justice are those who are already privileged. To those who are privileged, justice isn't necessary because they get justice everywhere they go. Mm-hmm. But for those who are the underdogs, the underserved, and let's, let's speak, since it's African American History Month, let's speak to the injustice of the education system yeah. uh, that has Unfairly marginalized people of color and and I say this boldly without and I think that anybody whether you you're you're rich or poor Whether you're Protestant Catholic uh, a Baptist I think that if you really look at the problem and could remove yourself uh, from your orientation you could see That there are Ivy League schools Where people of color are smart enough to get in? But because of the price tag they'll never get in and then you can have a rich family whose child is of a privileged class, not even smart enough to get in the school, but because the parent can give an endowment, Mm -hmm. they can fill these schools, thereby get the better opportunities, thereby have the better education. And then you have opportunity zones and red lines, and you have all of these things in banks and, and where public schools are funded by property taxes in neighborhoods where all of the properties are abandoned. So there's no money funding the school, which means there are no books to, to, to share with each individual student, and now you have students sharing books, and those books are missing pages. And you have teachers who are underpaid in those neighborhoods and underserved. That's not justice. That's not justice. Uh, that's injustice at its core, that, that, that banks won't lend to you if you're in a certain area, if you're in a certain district. and and that opportunity zones have been introduced to the dialect uh, to try to service that, but that's a long-term plan and and it's difficult. Black Lives Matter. Do I agree with everything Black Lives Matter does? I will say here to you unequivocally not. But this this world that we live in tends to not look at the bigger, bigger picture, because although Black Lives Matter, may be for some things I'm not for they are actually for the one thing I am and that's a black man and I have to start there I've got a black mother and I have black sisters I've got a black daughter and I don't have to agree with everything that black lives matters do or does in order to see that there is some good to the organization the people in the NRA are fighting for guns even though those same guns are shooting up schools and what has happened is that we've 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 segregated ourselves into party politics, and this is really the issue. The, the real issue is, is that there is a conception or preception, I should say, that if you are conservative, anti-abortion, then you're Christian. And and if you're not, you're leftist because you are pro- Equal rights in marriage, and and you're uh, uh, against climate change. It's like you got four, five, six issues, and if you believe in these three, you're on this side. If you believe in these three, you're on that side. But there are Democrats that are anti-abortion, yeah. and there are Republicans that are pro-life. It's 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 this party politics system that has separated us into these visceral conversations that, that are designed to keep us apart. You're red, you're blue, you're liberal, you're conservative, you're, you're leftist, you're right, they, they are designed. And every time you see us coming together, you see the ugliest parts of both parties rising up to say, no, 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 we're not coming together, we're staying separate because it pays to be divided. Most of these people that you see leading us are not interested in unity it doesn't pay for all of us to be on the same page because you need a Walgreens and a CVS. You need a Target and a Walmart. You gotta give people options, otherwise coming together, uh, banks are up the people who are not against the, the thing. Uh, so Black Lives Matter may be offensive, but there are other things that we must understand and I hate the answer being so long, but you hit, you hit me in a passion spot because I remember the same group saying, "Blue lives matter," but when they stormed the Capitol, they killed two blue lives. So, were you for the police, or were you just for them because you thought black lives were against them? It's 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 the most crucial concept that if we think about it, that all people in pain congregationalize. Mothers against drunk driving, Alcoholics Anonymous drug anonymous when people are in pain they congregationalize and i will say this to anybody watching whenever you see a group in pain this is not the time to judge them people in pain don't need judgment they need prayer they need care they need to be loved so if if police are in danger then it is the responsibility for all of us as Americans to respond to that. If black people are in danger, then it is the responsibility. why won't we do it? Because every time one of the fish are getting ready to disappear, everybody comes together. You have more people for whales than you have for black lives. It's amazing. So I think, I think that, that, that the distribution of injustice has segregated us into a place where you can't say anything to anybody about anything, or you're censored, or, or, or you're canceled. But the truth is, is we need to have hard conversations. We need people who are unafraid, and I would say this to black people. We need to stop killing our leaders when the other side is trying to kill them as well. So you can say whatever you want about Donald Trump, and you can say whatever you want to about his politics, but you never saw a Republican break rank, 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 rank with him, not many, when he was in office. Yet the entire time, all black people kept canceling President Obama, and every time he says defund the police or not defund the police. So we kill our own leaders, um, and, and we don't support them in, in wartime. So long answer, uh, very passionate about it. We could have had this whole segment on my thoughts of that, but I'm going to let it go because um, I, I know how people are on the internet, and when <laughs> they see this, the comments are going to come in, but I meant what I said
0: so i'll never forget this uh i was a freshman in college at a predominantly white university university of missouri and i grew up in i would argue a very diverse metropolitan area dallas and so i had all kinds of friends growing up all kinds of backgrounds all kinds of religions so my first week at the university of missouri this is part of the reason why i became a journalist kid you not there was a girl who came by and she asked me didn't know my name from adam and eve she said have you ever seen a shooting And I was like, well, no, have you? Anyway, time goes on, (laughs) days go on. She comes up, she's like, wow, I've never seen a black person with freckles. I'm like, huh, that's another weird comment. My roommate had the door open. She comes by like a third day. She says, oh, you have really nice things. Like, almost in shock. Long story short, I called home crying, telling my parents, I don't wanna be here, come pick me up, these people are strange, I don't know what they got going on in the Midwest, I gotta get up out of here. My dad taught me a very important lesson that week. Mm. He said, no you're gonna stay and you're gonna show that girl grace. She's ignorant by default, but you've been called to educate her through your presence, through your kindness, through your wisdom. Come to find out she was from a small farm town in Illinois, had never interacted with black people, never seen one, never went to school with them. So as my dad said, unfortunately, she was ignorant by default. So when we talk about some of these issues, right, the things that have plagued the black community, the things that have plagued minority communities, the real injustices and things that have kept us down for so long, I think the education system, you know, part of it is that they're not teaching, right? They don't, I think they call slavery now in the latest public textbooks in in Texas, migrant workers or something like that. Like it's not slaves. I'm like, what is a migrant worker? Is in somebody who gets paid, like they didn't get paid. So there's a lack of knowledge there. There's a lack of time for people to really sit down and, and understand history. Um, but but it's important, right? Uh, you answered it a little bit as far as Black Lives Matter, but I wanna hear directly from you because you guys have a unique perspective that nobody else in America has, being a black man in America. Mm-hmm. That, that's different even from being a black woman. I have my own challenges, but as a black man in America, um, when you see the things play out on television, the George Floyds, the Philando Castiles, Jacob Blake, uh, so on and so forth, like what does that spark in you? How do you feel? I mean, obviously you look at everything with wisdom and with a spiritual perspective, but you're also a black man.
1: Can I, if I could just lay the wisdom and spiritual perspective aside and just be human for a second, I get angry. I get angry. Because there are people who are pretending like it actually doesn't exist. And it is right in front of us. I will, n- let me tell you the most, I guess, aha moment that I have had in the last election cycle was the moment that the Capitol was stormed. And I said to myself, I'm not gonna have the argument of if that was black people, da da da." We, we, I'm not even gonna do that because the, if, if, as my grandfather would say, if if was the fifth, we all be drunk. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna have that discussion. But I, the discussion that I wanna have is one that is actually documented, it was on camera. You remember the young lady who was outside of the window she was storming through the chambers, and the officer shot her, and mm-hmm. she subsequently died. And um, I pray that her family is recovering. Um, our thoughts and prayers as a church were with that family from that day forward. Because I don't think, whether you're black or white, nobody should be dying over this stuff. We've shed enough blood. And, and if you're a Christian, then you believe that the blood of Jesus was the price for all of this. So everybody else, is, it's, it's blood, it's wasted but nonetheless we're here and Chris Cuomo who is one of my favorite television personalities by the way cut the segment right when the woman was shot and said these words I remember when I was covering the Iraq war you told us and I'm paraphrasing that you were tired of the carnage and you were tired of seeing the death so we cut this video to spare you and I got so angry because I said to myself, how many times did we watch George Floyd die on TV? How many times did we see Philando Castile die on television? How many hours did we watch Mike Brown lay bleeding in the streets? And when this woman is shot, you're gonna spare us? That even in a network that calls themselves fair and factual, still pulled a lever that at the core as a black man I thought there is yet another inequity Mm -hmm. that that the young man that got shot 21 times in Chicago we saw it on the body cam footage over and over and Ahmaud Arbery we not only saw him get shot over and over and over again they then subsequently released more video and we saw his blood dripping from his assailant and you cut the video and I'm not saying I wanted to see her die because I didn't, but I also didn't want to see Ms. Arbery's son die, and I also didn't want to see Trayvon die, and and or his body. I didn't want to see any of that. We're back at justice. We're back at justice. We're back at what's fair. We're back at what's equitable. And I just say if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. If it's not good to see her die, it wasn't good to see him die. As a black man, It angers me. It frustrates me. Not too long ago, I was out of town. I was driving in a car in a predominantly white neighborhood. I was in a rented car. I got pulled over by the police. I've only been pulled over by the police three times in my entire life. I've Never gotten a ticket. Never gotten a ticket. Police pulled me over. He said, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, no, sir. He said, you were speeding. I said, was I? Here's his words. You were going 31 in a 25. Now, I'm over the limit, so I don't, you know, one of the things in, in Not I- a little petty. Yeah, that's petty, but it's cool, you know, because I'm over the limit. But as I'm in the car, and I wasn't the only one in the car, we were in the SUV, and every seat was full, so six, seven people in the car. I see the police officer looking through the window. I see him looking. He does this, and he picks up the, the, the receiver, and, and he starts talking. And, and, he's, and he's getting back up to come. He walks up to the window and he says, do you have a license? I said, yes, sir. And I shouldn't have had, had to ask this question, Erica, but this is what I asked him. I said, yes, I have one. Are you going to allow me to reach for it?
0: Mm.
1: And at that moment, he crossed his arms and he knew exactly where I was coming from. And he said, yes, yes, sir. And I pulled out my license. And I gave it to him, and he went back to his car, and he ran it like any other officer would, and he brought the license back to me and said, I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to let you go. People have just been complaining about people speeding in this area. Have a good day. I was afraid that it could have gone another way. I should not in America as a taxpayer, as an African-American pastor at a prominent church, have to fear for my life at a traffic stop as if I'm a common criminal, but it's my reality. So when you ask me how does it make me feel, it makes me angry, it makes me emotional, it makes me sad, it makes me frustrated, but because I'm a believer, I remain hopeful that one day we will live in a nation where we're not judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. Hey everybody, it's giving time. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, press down, shaking together and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible because it specifically lets me know that if I do A, God will absolutely do B. I believe that this is the season for you to absolutely not to have to worry about money problems. This is the season for you to live in the absolute truth that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. I'm believing for you to have a season of overflow and I want you to connect with us today as we all get ready to give together so that God will be able to open up that window and pour you out a blessing you won't have room enough to receive. All of the instructions on how to do it are coming up on the bottom of the screen right now. This could be the day that changes the rest of your life. If you are faithful over a few things, you read it, God will make you ruler over much. Get ready for much. In fact, I need everybody to type it, just type much. There you go, I see it coming through there. Say it again, much, shout it in your house, wherever you are watching this. I want you to believe God for much and more. It is the Father's good pleasure that you would enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. As we go back to this conversation, I want you to go back to this conversation filled with joy, knowing that you're going to hear what we have to say, but I want you to hear that small, still voice whispering in your ear, hearing what the Spirit is saying to you right now. It's your time to live in overflow. Check this out.
0: That's something that so many people experience over and over again, as far as traffic stops, as far as situations that make you say, here we go
1: here we go again. here we go
0: you already know what time it is you know it it just it happens so frequently um people tell me all the time i have such a a patience with some viewers and people who write on my social media pages obviously we broadcast to all types of people all kinds of backgrounds and so if i post anything about anything anything related to politics race anything it could literally just be the headline This just happened yesterday. No commentary, no opinion, and people are going nuts. And so as I explained to some viewers recently, at the end of the day, if the leg was hurting, would the arm say, why are you hurting? Get over it, what's wrong with you? I'm pretty confident they work together because they're all the same body, right? They have compassion for one another. They know that once they get the boy back up and going, then the body can work better. And so that's how I explained it to somebody in these injustices, in these divisions, in these differences, if we can start looking at it like that. I got your back, I don't understand it, I don't get it.
1: I hear you. That's good.
0: I hear you. I am your arm. You're hurting right now, so I'm going to rally around you. If I'm hurting next week, I expect you to rally around me. That's what I would love to see a lot more.
1: It's like like the leg gets hurt, and then the attention goes to the leg, and the arm says, all arms matter, (laughs) right? But right now, the arm isn't in danger. The leg leg is on fire and struggling. So so if we could stop shifting um, so that everybody can be included in the conversation so that nobody's forgotten. Remember, I believe that justice is only offensive to people who are privileged and that if we are Christians, if we are Christians, believers, that is not a thing that black people have the market cornered on because we have hymns and uh, and and we can shout and we can speak in tongues because I think there's ignorance to be had in every dialect in every culture in every color. I'm also tempted to say that as African-Americans are pushing for justice You can't do it at the cost of intolerance. That because an officer did something wrong that every officer you see is now associated with that same behavior. It's like black people fighting the stereotype that because the robber was dark-skinned and had braids that because I'm dark-skinned and I have braids now, you look at me differently. We don't want it, so we shouldn't issue it, right? So, so there has to be fairness and equity and tolerance and dialect and understanding on both sides if we're ever going to do it, if we're ever going to do it. And, and I think that that's, I hope that that's where we're headed because I see some light at the end of the tunnel.
0: How do we get to the point where we train ourselves or have these conversations with people who view things differently or see things differently? How can we just stop and say, wait a minute, yeah. Wait a minute. Let me let me think about this a little bit differently, or let me just let me just hear what you're saying. How do how do we start training ourselves to do that?
1: We have to. We we may not be able to train ourselves to do it, cause it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. But your father can teach you. So sometimes you know they say those who can't teach, if you don't have the ability to do it, teach your child to do it. Your nieces, your nephews, those you oversee, those. Who you're raising it it, so that if even if it's difficult for you to do in your own power it wouldn't be difficult for you to teach the right thing to people who are who are going to follow you so I think that that we teach it right and that we have dialogues like this because what you and I are talking about right now many thousands of people will see this and many will resonate with it and others will disagree totally with it but it's okay it's okay as long as that disagreement doesn't turn to indifference um, that, that the only person who can tell you how much it hurts is the one that's in pain. And you don't get to tell the person who's in pain whether they're hurting or not. So I think that people have to listen.
0: That's good. I, I used to always say, you know, don't cut me and then say don't bleed. Mm-hmm. You, you know, just, yeah. just try your best to be there as best you can and try to just empathize and, and just be a brother and sister, you know, right. have that kind of unity. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, obviously you grew up hooping, you've had teammates, you've had friends growing up um, along the years. Have you ever had or seen any examples with them or maybe even yourself where you felt like, man, this isn't due justice. This isn't what (laughs) this isn't how I expected this to go. You know, I feel like we all got that one homeboy who's like, man, did you hear what happened to so-and-so last week? He got hemmed up by the cops. You know, he was he was thrown up against the car or, or whatever. Do you have any of those stories that stick out? and make you think about when you see the stuff play out on TV?
1: Yeah, um, so the year is 1999. I am on a a basketball team as a senior, and um, I am driving at this time a brown 1986 Lincoln Continental. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I was smooth (laughs) like that even then. And I remember driving this car. And I was one of the few guys that had a car. Now, here's the irony of it. The same day that I'm driving this car was the day, my mom gave it to me this day. It was her old car, and I just got car insurance, just got covered on her car insurance that day. She called it in. She calls me on the phone, and she tells me, whatever you do, don't get in an accident today because I'm not sure if the insurance will kick in today or tomorrow. So what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen, right? I'm going to get mm, an accident. Mm, 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 mm. So we play West Side High School in Gary, Indiana. We lost that game.
0: He, he remembers. It stays y'all.
1: with me. Yeah. <laughs> we get dropped off by the bus, and myself and four other teammates—Chris Woods, Keon Frazier, Willie Davis, and Marcus Jefferson—we get in my car, and um, we are. I'm headed to take all of them home because at that time I'm the only one that had a vehicle. As we're coming out of the school parking lot, out of nowhere comes a Trans Am. Boom! Hits us head on. The car bounces off of us, hits a bus stop, goes through the bus stop and goes into the house behind the bus stop and so now you have the front of this car inside Of this green shotgun house right on the corner across the street from the school. We panic, we get out. I'm scared because mama just told me she just
0: told you, boy, you better not let this happen.
1: And they never let me, they never (laughs) let me live this down. This was my reaction. I get out of the car and I go and I start shaking the stop sign like, no, she is gonna kill me. That followed me all the way through college. They never let me forget about it. So I we get out of the car, and I think it may have been Will. Uh, he was the tallest out of us. He went to the guy's passenger side door, opened it, reached across him and unlocked the door because this guy's bleeding from his face. We call ourselves going to help. The guy starts panicking and going crazy and say, "They're assaulting me!" He starts screaming. So we back up, we close the door, The police arrive. The police arrive and put us all in handcuffs. He is yelling, they assaulted me. Look at the blood in my face. They assaulted me. Erica, he has a beer in his lap. By the way, he busted his head on the steering wheel from the accident. But because he said that we assaulted him, we were handcuffed for helping, and he was on his way home as a drunk driver. The only thing that saved us is my basketball coach just so happened to be driving up the street at the time we we're being arrested. Had a conversation with the officers assured him that there was no way we assaulted this man and it was only then that we were let go. Wow! That gave me such a disdain for law enforcement. They never asked us outside of the story. And to this day, I cannot fathom, how could you show up to the scene of an accident where a man has a beer in his lap and you take his story, I guess at that time I was thinking over four, five black boys. It forever bothered my perception of law enforcement. And I eventually got over it and I'm I'm an adult now, I understand that, that people make mistakes, but I've seen injustice firsthand which is why people can't tell me it doesn't exist. Um so that's that's one of my one of my stories. Um but I also have stories t- to the opposite where where I had great experiences. Um So, yeah,
0: we can't lump everybody together. That's for sure. That's another thing. You know, Mm -hmm. and that's a reason why I got into journalism. I Mm -hmm. really wanted to make an impact and a difference as far as stereotypes and perceptions, because what we put out does shape perceptions. You know, Um, I had an interview with a historian years ago talking about when all of this stuff was coming about, Black Lives Matter and social justice and whatnot. And this is a a white professor from Mississippi. He grew up in the South. He Mm -hmm. had his own notions, but he was also a scholar and stuck to the facts and stuck to what was on text. And so he told me that in order to really be able to understand the injustices and the racism in America, you have to get real and go to what it was at the beginning. Mm. And the truth and the matter is, African people were brought here and considered Non-human. They were considered property. They were not considered. So we're talking about why there's two different justice, you know, situations because yeah. you know it's going to take a while to get past. They were never really considered human. At one point on the U.S. census, they weren't even marked as human beings, yes. right? And so yes, centuries have passed, you know, but Jim Crow wasn't that long ago, right? There were still perceptions that, ah, well, the black folks aren't equal, you know. So it's going to take a while to get past that. So my next question to you is, how do you intentionally go about? um you know juggling or pastoring a very multicultural church you know different ages different backgrounds but also having that in your mind you know what it is sometimes you know that we still haven't arrived when it comes to racial justice when it comes to social justice mm. how do you balance that
1: well you know i think that's a great question i'm privileged to uh, to lead a multi- ethnic organization, I don't respond to color, I just respond to pain. I, I, don't, I don't care what color you are, if you are hurting, I'm coming. It's documented. One of the first acts, uh, reaction to crises that I, that I had as a pastor here in uh, Houston was when the Boston bombing took place. Now you know as well as I know it wasn't a whole lot of black people in Boston. <laughs> running in no cold at you know all. we don't you know we don't go outside yeah we don't run and we definitely ain't going outside when okay. it's cold at all but we we purchased prosthetic limbs for three families i didn't know how expensive they were uh, at the time we didn't even have a church building it was a pastor named william jordan at lions unity church it's a historic church here in houston we had to use his church I um, combined our efforts with the uh, interfaith ministries. Uh, Elliot Gersherson was the president at the time, and we combined efforts with them, raised the money, uh, got these uh, families the prosthetic limbs for their children, and all of the families were white. And to this day, I've never met any of the families other than by letter. I don't respond to color. I I just respond to pain. So the way you lead a multi-ethnic organization is just respond to hurt. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was—he was Lord to the Jew and the Gentile. Whosoever will, let him come. Right? Um, We do a a anti-hunger campaign every three months, and we feed at a minimum of two thousand families. That's our goal. We don't care what color you are. If you're hungry, you're hungry. We give away twenty thousand pounds of clothes every quarter we, we don't care what color the skin is that the clothes cover if you're naked just come we have a, a, a expo that we do do during the resurrection season we have about six or seven thousand people who come and when I tell you they're Asian Latino African-American Caucasian uh, I, I met people from Indonesia the Philippines if if you need respite Away from the mundane, trivial trials of an everyday life, I have never cared what color you are. The way you do it is you respond to human need, irregardless of color or creed. And I don't need you to like me, for me to love you. I think happiness, joy and peace is an inside job, and it should never be outsourced to somebody's feelings about you. I'm sure. I've put clothes on racist. I'm sure I fed somebody who was racist. I'm sure that through the one million items that our church gave away during Hurricane Harvey and the half a million dollars in cash and gift cards that we gave away during Hurricane Harvey, I'm sure somebody got something from us that didn't like black people. But my reward in heaven will not come as a result of what they did it will be as a result of what I did according to what God told me to do. So I just run to pain. And I don't care what house is on fire, if it's a white house, a black house, an Asian house, a Native American house, I'm just going there to put the fire out and hope that everybody who lived in that house survived. And that's how I've always lived my life.
0: You know, I think one of the beauties of mission trips and you can attest to this, is that You know, people's lives are changed by you just loving on them. Yeah, you know what I mean? I remember my very first mission trip to Costa Rica. I speak a little bit of Spanish, but not enough to understand some of these little kids. And it didn't matter. You know, they just wanted to be hugged and picked up and fed and loved. And I had plenty of that to give. You know what I mean? I think it's the same with with justice. Mm. At the end of the day, if we're just covering folks and loving on them, eventually, hopefully enough people will come around. That's
1: very good, Erica. That is awesome. You know? I, I think that's that is a very one of the best statements between all of the talking I've done and, and the little bit that you've done. I think you're absolutely right. I think what you just said is a prescription for America's malady that that all people need is love. That's what the Beatles tried to tell us. All you need is love. Right. <laughs> and it could it could solve so many things. It's what Jesus did. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I think that if things would start with love, and what's in love? That's, that's compassion and, and understanding and, and, and bearing each other's burdens, and um, it, I, that is justice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is just, it yeah. is just, and everybody deserves that, and I think what you said is such a powerful statement.
0: And just doing the right thing is justice, too. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, in a circumstance, and they vary, but just doing the right thing, right? That's awesome. Um, I guess for a little bit of advice for people. You know, we know that somebody watching is at home. They, they live with somebody who it doesn't matter what you say to them. Yeah. They're right. Anything that you say ain't right and it don't make any sense.
1: <laughs>
0: okay? I mean, it's just not right. So like how do you, um, you know, as believers, how do you keep your cool? How do you stay in the paint? How do you continue to have these type of conversations and dialogues with people who just, you know, only God gonna have to be able to change them at yeah. that point. You know, we all know people like that, right? I mean, just talking to them is like a brick wall.
1: Yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to be as liberal on the answer on that because one of my pet peeves is when a person expects somebody to be better in their deficiency while they get to stay the same. Mm-hmm. So if you're asking the person who's intolerant to get better with tolerance, then the person who is asking to be tolerated has to be better with patience. I think it's a two-way street. So what do you do? What do you do when you run up against a brick wall and you can't get through? I think that the behavior should be confronted in real time. But I also think that patience is needed, especially for those who are trying to understand. I think that when you run into a brick wall, you stop running into it. Obviously, you don't bang your head on it and knock yourself unconscious, but all walls are not brick. Some of them are drywall. And if enough pressure is applied, you can get through them. I think you have to decide which wall it is. I think you have to decide how committed the wall is to not coming down. And I think that whenever you find a soft target, I think that whenever you find a little bit of empathy or sympathy, I think that uh, when people are trying to understand and just because they don't walk away with the the, uh, conclusion that you started with, um, I think that when you find a person who at least tries to understand, I think you should be a little more patient there, and I think you should invest a little more time, and I think that you should give people time to come around, Uh, but just make sure that you don't turn around while you're trying to get them to come around.
0: Yeah, you don't want to get kind of bogged down in their mess and and lose where you stand and, and, you know, what your point of view is, that's for sure. Um, One thing that is very profound and very prevalent in Scripture, God just wants us and respects people who do the right thing right look at all the leviticus look i mean he just wants us to do the right thing and justice is that right yeah giving people what they're owed correct um kind of talk about that as well in terms of Um, you know, people understanding that. Because it's one thing, I think it's become so cliche and so cool for everybody in their bio to be like, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of the Lord, I do this. And we're not even taking steps to do some of the basic things that God wants us to do, which is doing the right thing, doing right by people, giving them justice, giving them grace, giving them mercy, showing them love, you know, in difficult circumstances. Um, Talk a little bit about that. I mean, it's, it's clear God wants us to do the right thing and justice and giving people justice is one of them.
1: There's an old song written by the jars of clay that says, we are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. And together we pray that one day we will be restored and they'll know that we are Christians by our love. They won't know we're Christians because we were Black Lives Matter. They won't know we were Christians because we believe in pro-life they won't know we're Christians because we defended the second amendment they won't know we're Christians because we fought for equal rights in marriage they won't know we're Christians because we were Baptist or Protestant or Episcopal or our uh, Church of God in Christ or uh, what it, it, who cares they will know we're Christians by our love. That, that's the only definition yeah. that we have. And in love is tolerance and in love is care and love is patient. Paul said it. Love is kind. Love is not arrogant. Love is not puffed up. It keeps no record of wrong. If, if we could just tear chapter 13 out of 1 Corinthians and just post it on the wall of every house. Who cares what color your skin is? Who cares? Who cares whether you have a million dollars in the bank and you're able to leverage a tax loophole or whether you are just paying the simplified tax rate of somebody who works at a fast food restaurant at the end of the day when the sky cracks like glass? And Jesus comes back. He won't ask you. Were you a Republican, (laughs) Erica, or were were you a Democrat? Or let's put it, did you work for Channel 2 or 13? (laughs) Right, he won't ask you that. He won't won't even ask you, um, you know, uh, what was your religious affiliation? Because while I'm excited that you are a part of our church, I'm sure our church isn't the first church that you were a part of. You will be judged by what kind of mother were you and how did you treat Ella and your husband and your father who sounds like a wise man to tell you no, you're not gonna quit you're gonna stay right there your father did what he did because he loved you you do what you do because you love your family those are the things that when it's all over we will be judged by and I just wish that this message would go far enough and wide enough and outside of the local church and reach enough ears Well, people will recognize that our struggle is that we are majoring in the minor and we're minoring in the major. That all of the news cycle is filled up with things that won't change a thing. (laughs) And yet, the Beatles had it right when they said all you need need is love. That's
0: it. I've seen so much just anger and frustration and people just, you know, blood vessels popping out and just, you know, on social media and in person. It's just too much. I think we all just need to really get back to basics
1: and, and get to understanding each other you know you, you i remember um in one clip uh one leader said when the looting starts the shooting starts that was black lives matter the next clip was we love you go home that's not justice <laughs> you got to understand on both sides though that there's pain and and that a person's listen a person's perception is actually their reality no matter what you say <laughs> no matter what you say that is their reality they believe it and it's nothing that you can do to change it but you can love them
0: through it amen jesus and love can break some folks down can't i
1: they? i agree i and believe you know
0: it. this firsthand by you know speaking to all types of people hearing people's stories a lot of these folks are just hurt like you said for various reasons right they're angry and they're lashing out because that's what they feel they need to do i'm yeah. hurt so i'm just gonna you know respond this way yeah. or, or be hostile right
1: well isn't that what everybody in pain does pain the indicator that you are in pain is a reaction the doctor gives you the needle you react the fire burns the skin you react, A person hurts your feelings, you react. A person betrays your confidence, you react. We react, that is the human notion in response to all trauma. I just pray that our reactions don't put an end to our religion. This Christianity that is being touted now, I don't recognize it. I don't I don't know this Christianity. It, it looks like a Christianity of times past where the Bible was used to enslave a group of people. It's it's reminiscent of that. And I thought that we had come so far. And, and, and I'm not alone when I talk. My mom is 67. I've got a mentor that's 63, 64. When I talk to people who've been around for nearly six and seven decades and they say they've never seen anything like this, mm-hmm. Houston, we got a problem. <laughs> We've got a problem. I just, I know it's, it may be irritating to some people, but I do hope, wish, pray for, and believe that we will have better days. We'll have better days.
0: And that's part of the reason why a lot of people have been turned off by the church. Let's just be honest. Like you said, the, this new kind of definition that people are putting out. It's, it's confusing to people, it's like, wait a minute, I thought you were supposed to treat me justly, I thought you were supposed to love me, I thought you were supposed to be kind even in the midst of my failures.
1: Let me tell you, I'll, I'll end with this. I, I was talking to a millennial, a group of millennials, and I asked that group full of young men and women what their perception of the church was. Here's, here's their response. I love God. I just don't like the people who represent them. Wow. They said that this church is still trying to catch fish, but they have plastic on the hooks. No bait. Only fake. Now, a traditional religious person would be offended by that statement, but I didn't ask them. I asked millennials. <laughs> And if, they're, if I'm right, then a person's perception is their reality. I love God. I just don't like the people who say they represent Him. We, as adults, baby boomers, Gen Xers, and Ys, millennials. And let me tell the millennials something. They still think that they're the young ones. You got a whole Z generation that's coming up. <laughs> And you got millennials running around here talking about, we still young, you are not young.
0: Let us stay young, please. No, I will
1: not, because if (laughs) you stay young, the world will stay stuck. It's time for you, your generation, our generation. We're the leaders. So we have to have these conversations. We have to talk. We have to speak up. Andy Young, his eyes are growing dim. John Lewis is gone home to be with the Lord. There is a new generation of people who must carry the message forward. And those of us who are in our 30s and 40s saying we're young, you got to know that John Lewis was 20-something when he was on the mall in Washington speaking near Dr. King doing the I Have a Dream speech. If that is the marker, then we're already behind.
0: That's deep. So now we have an important charge in front of us. Martin Luther King a lot of was dead us.
1: by the time he was my age. I think he died at 39. I'll be 39 this year. I'm 39 now. I'll be 40 this year. He died with this kind of health. We don't have as much time as we think.
0: That's good, I'm happy we had this conversation. It's been a joy, I appreciate it. I think that it is a starting off point. I think there's more discussions that need to be had in other churches and other platforms because as you said, once we really start diving into things, then hopefully we can see how much we have in common and how much we really can unify. Pastor Ken, this has been such an amazing conversation. I feel enlightened, I feel inspired. I feel like this was a much needed dialogue. Before we wrap up though, I want to ask, and this can hopefully press us forward in a new light, how can justice unify us?
1: Yeah, and let me say this, thank you so much uh, for your time. Um, You know, you're a member of our church, so I can't help but encourage you. I, I was enlightened too, you said, Several things that made me think, and and I appreciate your your um, investment into the dialogue. But I, I don't know if justice will unify us. I don't know if justice will unify us. First Chronicles seven and fourteen says, "If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven." forgive them of their sins, heal their land, I'm not sure that justice will bring us together because I think that even when we all have the same thing, we'll find something else to argue about. I do know a thing that will bring us together. I know a couple things that will bring us together. It's not justice. I think, number one, humility will bring us together. Humility is being able to see yourself lesser no matter what the circumstance is and I'm not saying less as a person but the humility that's necessary for you not to be arrogant or proud or puffed up or think that you are deserving of anything. My mother taught me a lesson if I never will remember anything else she taught me something that I never shall forget she said Keon expect nothing and appreciate everything that's humility number two prayer prayer the effectual fervent prayers of the righteous availeth much and we don't have enough prayer they, they they try to remove it from the schools but the great thing about prayer is it doesn't have to be audible it can be inaudible and you can pray in your heart sitting right in front of a person who can suspend you if they find out that you're praying and I'm so glad that God understands silence that he can hear our hearts and that we can speak from within and God Can hear us my prayer and my hope that while we seek justice that we don't do it at the expense of remaining humble steadfast and prayerful that's my answer to the question
0: what's up guys we thank you so much for watching this message be sure if you haven't already check out the box below and these are instructions on how to give also, if you just don't know where to go, where to turn, who to turn to, if you feel connected to this church, if you feel connected to our pastor in this ministry, be sure to also look down below on how to connect with us and to just join us every single time that you see us on sundays or tuesdays whatever worship service that we may have and i also want to take this thing out with a prayer for you guys we pray that this word penetrates your heart may the blood of jesus be with you all the days of your life everywhere your feet shall tread he will be with you we thank you again for watching us and y'all have a good day
1: listen we have created a way for all of you all to connect with us online whether you live in the city of houston out of the city of Houston, whether you're in another country, we've created a platform called Lighthouse 2.0. And it is nothing more than my way of connecting to you wherever you are. So right now they're getting ready to put a link up on the screen and you're gonna be able to go to that link, to that place, and say you wanna be a part. Come check us out. We got a lot that we've given and we got a lot more for you. I cannot wait to see you at 2.0.